How many of you are ready to get even more excited? Yeah, come on. Thank you, team. I appreciate you guys so much. And those of you that are in the congregation already, let's get our Bibles open. We're going to jump straight into the Word today. My message title is this, Your Authority is Greater Than Satan's Power. I'm going to repeat that. Your authority is greater than Satan's power. Now, last week I shared, uh, my title was A Kingdom Conferred, and I shared two scriptures in particular. One, Jesus said to the people as he was preaching, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's God's good pleasure to bestow on you, to benefit you with the kingdom. And then in another occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, I confer a kingdom on you just like my father conferred the kingdom on me. We have been given the kingdom of God. What an awesome privilege. But we need to understand what that's all about. And so this series has been designed, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives me step-by-step teaching for you every week to help us understand our life, not as American citizens, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and better than citizens, as sons of God. Amen. I'm a citizen in the USA, and there are certain rights and privileges that are afforded to me as they are to you. But I am not a son of the president. But I am a citizen of the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven, and I am a son of the God of the universe. And so are you. If you believe you are, let the enemy know it and let God see your gratefulness. Come on. Yeah, come on. That's it. That's it. If we could have the very first bullet point in my notes up on the screen. Thank you. I want to make a couple of points and just prove things by Scripture. And so I want to start with the fact that the first Adam was created and destined to be God's authority on earth. I want you to listen carefully. The Bible says that a good teacher takes out of his treasure chest old things and new things. And so some things today will be a a rehearsing in your ears. That's okay. Faith comes by hearing and hearing it again and again. A truth is like iron. Iron sharpens iron. And the more we hear the same truth, it sharpens us. And so the first bullet point this morning is the first Adam was created and destined. His destiny, his his call to life was to be a representation of God on earth and to govern, to have power, to be an authority. God said that in in Genesis chapter 2, and he says, Let us make man in our image and let them rule over the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, 
the life that teems in the oceans. God first pronounced that, and he said, let him be a ruler over all that we have created. Now, David, King David, picks this up, and we know David was very, very anointed. How many of you have ever read a few Psalms and thought, wow, that really speaks to me? Give me a little wave. All right. Awesome. David, very anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 8, he picks this up. And I touched this verse last week. He said, you have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet. You have made them rulers. And I pointed this out last week. The word ruler is the word mashal. To rule, to have dominion, to reign. God's intention in creation before the fall was that humanity. Notice David doesn't say you made Adam. It says you made them, the sons of Adam. were meant to be God's representatives and authorities on earth. But it never got past Adam and Eve. Because Adam surrendered his authority. But look at this. You made them to be rulers, marshal. That sounds like the word marshal. A person who has authority. Marshal, to rule, to have dominion, and to reign. Let me ask you a question. If that was God's original intention for humanity, and there was a great fall, and Humanity, Adam, the first Adam, miserably left his post. How many of you think that it is still in God's heart for his redeemed sons and daughters to marshal, to rule, to have authority, and to have dominion? God's concept of salvation, and it, it hurts me when I study Scripture When you study the context of salvation, both in the Old Testament as well as the New, when you fish through the Hebrew language and the Greek as well, you will see that salvation was never only your sins being forgiven and you get to go to heaven. Salvation from the beginning of the fall in Genesis 3.15 Before God exits Adam and Eve out of the garden, he prophesies and he declares there will be war between Satan and his demons and the seed of the woman. And the seed or the demonic force of Satan will nip at their heels, but the seed of the woman will crush his heels. God didn't prophesy just the forgiveness of sins and the right to live in eternity. God prophesied that the seed, God in the flesh coming through a woman, would crush the governmental authority. When you crush a head, you are crushing the head of an authority system. 
And so God was declaring that his son would come in human form and crush the governmental power and authority of demonic forces. And if they are crushed, we are the ones that have been liberated and we are the ones who now live free from that dominion and that control. Can I get an agreement here? And so God was prophesying his salvation from the moment man fell, God already had a plan for their redemption to buy them back to the place that they were destined to live in. Now, as I continue to preach today, I will establish this and show you clearly from Scripture that this is not just a theological position that Pastor Rob has made up, but that this is hidden in the Scriptures. And when you seek out a thing, when you seek the Word, it is to your honor and it is to God's glory when we dig in His Word for truth. How many of you like digging into God's Word? Absolutely. Yes. So watch this here. It says that you have put everything under their feet. I'm going to share something with you about that phrase that I think most of us have not taken great notice of. The phrase under your feet is a biblical concept. And it started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God said, and his, uh, the, the, the enemy's throngs or the enemy's seed will nip at their heels, but he will crush his head. From that moment, God was declaring that the enemy would be under the feet where he was meant to be, and that the Son of God would come and with his foot crush that government. This is a biblical concept. In fact, it's, before it's a biblical concept, it's a godly concept. Joshua had captured five kings of uh, heathen godless nations and when he captured them this is where they were just coming into the promised land he had them lay down on the ground and he called the leaders of every tribe you see in the old testament in those cultures those pagan cultures the kings were associated with deities much like in the roman empire and so people were afraid of them People thought that when they died, they became gods. And Joshua had them lay out on the ground, five kings. They were in the land of Makedish and in a cave in that land. And he said, I want one leader from every tribe to come. And I want you to put your foot on his neck. And then he says to the people, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. They are not gods. The leaders of your own tribe are testifying that they have authority over your enemies and God will give us victory over all of our enemies. You see, Joshua was acting out what was prophesied back in the book of Genesis. Joshua is a type of Christ. He comes as a pattern. He is, there are many similarities between Joshua who came and brought the people into the promised land. It's in many ways his life 
was a pattern of the one to come, Yeshua, the Savior, the Christ, who would come and bring us into the kingdom of God. Everybody say, that sounds good to my ears. Absolutely. But not only that, in Psalm 110, verse 1, God says to Jesus, and David is writing this, and David says, the Lord, now guys, that's, and I want you to take note of this because it's very important, that's not written the way it is in Scripture. In Scripture, it is the Lord, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, said to my Lord, capital L, lowercase r, lowercase, uh, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. And there's a reason for it. This is done in the Old Testament, and it's done in the New. And I apologize that I didn't have a word with my guys and make sure that they notice that. It is not a typo. If you open your Bible, especially the NIV, but many translations, you will often see the Lord is written in all capitals, and then sometimes the Lord is written in lowercase. And the reason is this. When you go back to the original manuscripts, when it's all capitals, the name is Yahweh, God. And when it is written in lowercase, it is Adonai, meaning Lord and Master. And Yahweh is the creator. And so David says, the Lord Yahweh, the God, the creator, said to my master, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Your enemies will be under your feet. They will be the place that you rest your feet. You're hearing this phrase. Now, this was a very important prophecy. Very important because Jesus picks it up. And in fact, this exact verse, this one-liner in Psalm 110 is repeated seven times that I can see in the New Testament. Jesus speaks about it in the Gospels. In fact, we're putting it on the screen if you want to uh, take a camera shot of it. I cannot go through all those scriptures now, but for study time, you might want to do that. Uh, Jesus picks this verse up and he says to the Pharisees, who was David talking to when he said, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, said to my Lord, capital L, lowercase, O-R-D, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, that's the place of government, till I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus, they were expecting a descendant of David to come and establish the throne just as was prophesied. And Jesus picks up this promise, this prophecy. And he says, if the Messiah, the Yeshua, who is going to reestablish the kingdom of God, is David's son, why does David call him my Adonai? The son in the Hebrew culture is always lower than the patriarch. Are you hearing me? 
And so Jesus was pointing to the fact that God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And this concept of your enemies being your footstool means your enemies are beneath you and they are under your feet and you can rest in that victory. Somebody give me an amen. So this passage is repeated seven times throughout the New Testament and referred to another three times in the New Testament. In fact, in these areas of reference, Paul and Peter elaborate, <clears throat> excuse me, elaborate even more so on the fact that Jesus has conquered the enemy and the enemy is now under our feet. The first Adam was created and destined to be God's authority on earth. And David said, you made him a mashal, a ruler. You gave him the right to dominion and to have authority. And you have put everything under his feet. You gave him governmental rights. You gave him governmental authority. Now what's very interesting is that Jesus references this many, many times. Now, we're going to go to the next bullet point, and I will tie all of this up in just a moment. And the next bullet point says, Adam surrendered his authority to Satan. We all know the story of the fall in the Garden of Eden. I'm not going to rehearse it. But I do want to point to you that even Satan knows that he usurped by trickery, he gained the authority that he now has over the physical earth. When Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, in one of the temptations that Satan proffered to Jesus, we're going to read it. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 to 7. And it says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. In that moment, he saw every great kingdom that would ever rise. He saw every kingdom. He saw the United States. He saw Great Britain. He saw every kingdom, Asian and Western, every kingdom. He showed them to him. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority. I will give you that all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. Number one, I want you to see that authority can be transferred. It was given to him. And he can give it to anyone he wants to. And that word, it was given to me, is the Greek word paradidome. Paradidome. Jesus said, I, it is your father's good pleasure to didome you the kingdom, to bestow on you the kingdom. But the word paradidome, while it means to give, it means to give with another connotation. And this is what it means. 
to paradidime is to give, to deliver over, to betray one's trust and hand it over to abandon. And so Lucifer was saying that Adam betrayed his post and he gave it to me. He abandoned his position and he gave me this authority. And if you bow down and worship me, I will give you authority over all of these kingdoms. I reiterate this so that you can see clearly that God really intended for humanity to rule and to reign, to have dignity, to have integrity, to live and walk and act in righteousness, to literally be statues of God's presence, men filled with splendor and filled with honor, men who know no evil but only know the goodness of God. And they were called, we were destined prior to the fall to be God's representatives and to have authority on the earth and to live victoriously and to live vibrantly as an extension of God's kingdom. Can somebody get excited about that? <laughs> Satan knew exactly what he was fishing for when he was in the Garden of Eden. He didn't just see a crown. He understood this authority gives Adam governorship. You see, the world is a legal entity. Now, we don't just have legalities here in the natural world. God is a God of legal things. He legally had given this planet to humanity for them to govern and to rule. I shared with you last week that God said to Adam, kabosh, keep it under your control. And in Hebrew, that's what it means, keep it under your control. The English word is translated subdue. Belinda, if I were to subdue your husband right now, what would it look like? It would look pretty ugly, wouldn't it? I would jump over Kenya's legs fall half across you, and I would jump on this guy and start wrestling him to the ground until I was on top of him. That's our English connotation of the word to subdue. But in the Hebrew, though we translate it in English as subdue, the Hebrew means keep it under your control. And so everything in the word of God is Tied together, it is harmonious. That's why the word that Satan uses is paradidomi. Jesus said, I did on me you the kingdom. I, my father bestows it on you. But paradidomi means it was given to you by default. It was given to you by forfeiture. It was given to you because somebody abandoned their post. It always was God's intention that humanity, men and women, would shine with his glory, that they would be powerful, that they <coughs> would be the head and not the tail. I'm building and I'm going somewhere. How many of you know where I'm going? Come on, keep following me. <clears throat> Adam surrendered his authority to Satan. <clears throat> Next bullet point. 
God reinstated us back into authority through the last Adam. We know who the first Adam is. The last Adam is Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the last Adam, not the second. The reason why he's the last Adam is because there will never, ever be a need for another. God would come in the flesh as a human entity, and he would rightfully defeat the one who, by forfeit, took the authority, and Jesus Christ would rightfully and righteously always hold on to the delegation of power and authority. <clears throat> That's why he's called the last Adam. God reinstated us back into authority through the last Adam. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet. The Apostle Paul was a great student of God's word. He had studied under Gamaliel, the finest Hebrew teacher of the law. Gamaliel was so famous, he was on the council of the Sanhedrin. He had governing power. History tells us Gamaliel would have at any given time 2,000 students on his property. He was a teacher of the law. In today's equivalent, he ran a college. Saul, who later met Christ and became Paul, the Apostle Paul, Saul studied under Gamaliel. He understood the scriptures. He was baptized, so to speak, into the Pentateuch and the Torah. He knew this. He spent his life stuttering, studying, studying, not stuttering, studying the scriptures. And Paul writes and he coins the very phrase that is an extension of Genesis 3.15. The enemy will bruise his heel, but with his heel he will crush the enemy's head. He reiterates the prophecy of Psalm 110 verse 1. Where God says to his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Paul in Ephesians, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And if you remember, I think I did this last week. He starts out by saying, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be opened so that you will see the hope of your calling, the richness of your inheritance, and the incredible great power that God has made available to you. And he ends the chapter Verse 22 and 23, and he states it very clearly, God placed all things under his feet, Jesus Christ, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of everything he is, who fills everything in every way. And so... Salvation is God restoring and renewing everything back to the original plan. Are you with me? You see, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. 
But God said, like a good uh, TV commercial, but wait, there's more. And there's a lot more in our salvation. God has not just given me a pass to heaven. He's not just swiping my slate clean. That, that is paramount. And if that's all he ever did, he's already done for me more than I deserve. And every day I prove that what he's done is more than I deserve. But God's salvation is so great. God's love is so awesome. God's mercy is so incomprehensible to you and me that he didn't stop there. He wants to reinstate us to his original purpose. Yes! And so he doesn't just raise Jesus up into heavenly places and sits him at his right hand. The Bible says we're there as well. If you're not convinced of that, merely by the fact that the Bible says he's the head, we're the body, the next chapter, Paul clearly and specifically says we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We have been reinstated back to where the first Adam was before he fell. Yeah, but you know what? I'm just repeating the story that God wrote. So thank you for the compliment, but I think every one of us should say, great story, God. Amazing, amazing, amazing. No wonder Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be opened. We need Paul to pray that today. Because in the church, we've lost sight of these great truths. And we are barely Christians by the blood of Jesus trotting through earth, struggling, hoping one day soon we're going to get to heaven. And God's intention was that the sons of God would come up from under the feet of demons, come out of the dungeons of darkness, come into the glorious kingdom of his son. He would clothe them with his righteousness, fill them with his Holy Spirit, and extend his authority on his sons so that they would be his representatives today in an earth that is falling apart. You and I, the church of Jesus Christ, we are the answer. The power and the authority has been reinstated to the sons of God. Not convinced? Let me give you some more scripture to back this up. So my bullet point is God reinstated us back into authority through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Isn't it amazing? Jesus comes preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And every time he does that, he's telling his disciples, I'm giving you authority over demons. You don't have to be harassed by the spirit world of darkness. You don't have to be thrown around. You're not subject to the wind. You're not subject 
to circumstances. I'm raising you back up to where you're supposed to be. Satan might be the God of this world, and Jesus says it, and Paul says it, but he's not the God of your world. Come on. This is Bible, church. This is Bible. And I apologize it's not heard often enough in the church. And then we wonder why the church is sickly and weak. It's because we don't know who we are in Christ and what we've become through Christ. Hallelujah. I've often said in the past, I haven't said it as much lately, Christians often say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I don't say that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's a person who doesn't have a revelation of anything other than the fact that their sins are forgiven and they're going to heaven. What I say and what the Bible really backs up is this. I was a sinner. I am saved by grace. And now I am a son of the God of the universe. And he has given me power and authority. Come on, if you believe it, stand up and give the Lord a thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I've got some more good stuff to show you and some new stuff. We're just getting appetizers at the moment. You know, I had the pastors up at my house the other night, and we, I fed them dinner. I made fresh bread, two loaves of fresh bread. I had fresh mozzarella with prosciutto on top, and then another tray of, uh, of uh, mozzarella with um, fresh salami with peppered cracked corn all around the edges. And, and in the midst of the first tray, I had... Fresh mozzarella with tomato and then a fig balsamic glaze poured over the top. But you see, that's just the appetizer. How many of you are, are wanting some right now? You see, the purpose of an appetizer is to make you want to eat. So far, I've only given you the appetizer. Are you ready to eat? Amen. I said, are you ready to eat? Mark chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Devils want you to believe. Demons want you to believe. They're big, bad, and scary. I'll say this. They're big, bad, and ugly. But they fit. The whole kingdom of darkness fits under my feet. They fit under your feet. I don't say that with arrogance. Even Gabriel knew his place when he rebuked Satan for the body of Moses. We don't speak like arrogant, immature children whose pride has gone to their head. But by the same token, nor are we this religious image of a humble person who's so humble that they're still but nothing other than a worm in God's sight. 
Both extremes are extremes, and they are wrong. Know who you are. I don't rejoice that I have authority over demons. I rejoice first and foremost that my sins are forgiven and my name is written in the book of life. What that means is I am a son of God. I rejoice first that I am a son of God. But as a son of God, how could it be my destiny that demons would lord it over me? If you're a son of God, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, if you've gone beyond just religion, going to church, and you've asked Christ to come inside of you, the Bible says you are born again, and you're born out of the covering of the first Adam who failed like every one of us would have failed. And we're born into the last Adam who overcame. Amen. In Mark 6, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over impure spirits. How many of you are getting the idea that they had authority over the whole demonic world? Luke 9.1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Now watch this. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Paul starts to talk about the first Adam and the last Adam. And in this whole chapter of chapter 5, he talks about how sin came into the world, death came because of sin through the first Adam and how life came into the world through the last Adam. And I'm going to take just a snippet, a screenshot of that chapter. We're going to look at verse 17. And in verse 17 it says, For if by the trespass, if by the sin, if by the failure of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, how much more they will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now let's stop and I always say God is logical, so let's logically chew this up. If the first Adam who was not God, he was a man could fall and fail at his destiny and surrender his headship to the demonic world. And if one human being could do that and through him death came to the whole world, what does death look like? Every sickness, every disease, every murder. Every war, every crime of injustice, every act of unrighteousness, the very aging process that wears us down and makes us less than what God had created us to be. What is death? It is the broken promises of God turned into a curse. If through a human being, death could reign over all of humanity, how many of you agree that that dis a description of death is still reigning over humanity? How many of you would agree? Have you turned the news on lately? 
Logically, let's munch on this. If a natural man falling could cause death to have dominion, to reign, to rule over all mankind, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what accent you have or what language you talk or what continent you hail from. Every people, if your blood is red, it's every person has come under the dominion of the kingdom of darkness. And Adam brought death and it has reigned over the earth. How many of you would agree? It has reigned over the earth. Now watch. If the first Adam, who was a human being, Paul refers to the first Adam as a human being and the last Adam as a life-giving spirit. If the first Adam could affect centuries, generations of humanity, how much more those who receive God's Abundant provision of grace. If you received God's abundant provision of grace, put your hand up. How much more everyone whose hand is up has the gift of righteousness and they will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That word reign in the Greek is basilio. Basilio. And it means to rule, to reign, uh, to have authority. Uh, to rule, to reign, to reign over. What's interesting about the word basilio, basilio is that the word kingdom is basilia. So if you have a kingdom, a basilia, you basilio over the basilia, you rule over the kingdom. You see, this is the good news of the kingdom of God. We've reduced it just to the fact that Jesus died, our sins are forgiven, we're going to heaven, and we're a hot mess on earth. But God meant for his sons to know who they are and to make a hot mess to the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. We will basile you. We will be an extension of the kingdom and we will rule, we will reign, and we will have authority. This is God's intention. Salvation is the restoration of all things. He's bringing it all back to where it was meant to be. Where the sons of God live with integrity, live and act with Dignity. They are pillars of righteousness in the community and they have authority from heaven when they speak. Can I get an agreement? Mankind was never meant to be under the authority of the enemy. That's my next bullet point. I want you to get this so clear that if I would ask you to Paint a picture of it, you could paint it. I want you to get this so clear that you'll be able to preach it to yourself on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. In fact, I want you to get it so clear. Forgive me if I hit it from one angle and another angle. I come in at 75 degrees and then come back in at 180 and come back in at 45 degrees because I want this to be so ingrained in who you are that every day of the week, on your worst day, 
on your worst day, on your worst hair day, on a day from hell, you can stand up and know who you are in Jesus Christ. And even when everything's against you, you can let out a roar of faith that make the demons of hell hide. Amen. Man was never meant to be under the authority of the enemy. Watch this, Acts chapter 10. This is really cool. This is one of those newer things I want to show you. Acts chapter 10, verse 37. The apostle Paul is preaching, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, and he's talking about Jesus. And uh, again, I've just taken one verse. It's not out of context, but it, it is in the context. And I'm going to keep it in that context, but I'm reading the one verse. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all. How many did he heal? Who were oppressed by the devil. Healing and demon oppression. We don't like to equate demonic activity with sickness. I said to you several weeks ago that over and over again in the Gospels, and I asked you how many of you have noticed this or read this, and most of you put your hands up, over and over again before Jesus healed, once, healed someone, he often, the Bible says, he cast out a spirit of infirmity and healed them. Notice here, Paul, I mean, that wasn't just, the way Matthew wrote things, he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. That wasn't just the way Mark verbalized it. He was inspired by the Holy Ghost. That wasn't just Luke's way of saying things. He was inspired by the Holy Ghost. Here you are 50 years later, and the apostle Paul is preaching, and Luke is writing down his words, and Paul says that Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost and filled with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by demons. There is a greater connection between demonic activity and sickness than we would like to believe. Does that make us evil and wicked? Does that throw science out the door? Let me tell you what science is. Science is the description of the physical manifestation of what demons are doing behind the scene. I'll say it again. Science is the description of the physical manifestation of what demons are doing behind the scene. We think science is the beginning and the end. No, Jesus is the beginning and the end. We think it starts with science and it ends with science. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you a radical story. It still amazes me today. It happened over 20 years ago. Still blows me away. I get emotional when I repeat the story many, many times. I get emotional. But watch this. I'm not done. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil for, he, for God was with him. That word oppressed, this is... Get your camera ready. You're going to want to take a picture of this. I mean it. You're going to want to take a picture of what this means in the Greek because we lose it in the English. 
oppressed. Kata dunesteo. Kata dunesteo. And it means, it comes from two words, kata and dunesteo. Kata meaning to put down. And dynestes, exercise rulership. And according to helps word studies, this is the proper definition. To be oppressed is powerfully bringing someone down. I don't know if you can see it, if it's big enough. Properly, powerfully bringing someone down, denying them the higher position or blessing they should enjoy. In the Greek, the word oppression, demonic oppression... The Greek word is an acknowledgement that this is never God's will. And when demons are harassing you, they are trying to bring you down lower than the level that God had destined for you. Wow. Wow. You see, everything in God's word hooks up. You could start in the Old Testament there is no blemish all the way to the book of Revelation. I am sorry that sometimes the English doesn't always carry the fullness of meaning. It's like in English, I can say, I love my pet dog. I don't have one, okay? I love my pet dog. I love ice cream. And then I turn around and I say to my wife, I love you. I hope that's a lot more than I love my dog or a lot more for you dog lovers, than I love ice cream, okay? But in Greek, there's five different words for love. So we lose things in translation. And this word, demonic oppression, to be oppressed by a demon, actually means that they exercise power over you and bring you down lower than the position you're supposed to be in. Somebody say, wow. 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 That is a wow. And what that tells me, it infers, it points out that we were never meant to be beneath demons. We were never in God's economy created so that we could be the sport of Satan and his team, but that we were always meant to be created in the image of God. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. <clears throat> so my bullet point was man was never meant to be under the authority of Satan. The next bullet point, your God-given authority is greater than Satan's power. Hollywood and demons who inspire the movie writers, the script writers, make Satan out to be great and big and powerful. And he is, but not to the sons of God. Did you hear me? Not to the sons of God. Everything we are starts from the finish line. When Jesus said, it's finished, I start this race having already crossed the finish line 
because of Jesus Christ. And the battle against the demonic forces of hell, Jesus cried out, it's finished. He has implemented God's plan of renewal of all things, the restoration of all things. This is the biblical concept of salvation, that God is saving us back to his great glorious promises. Turn to somebody and say, I like this gospel. Your God-given authority is greater than Satan's power. Now I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 18 to 19. Jesus is talking to his disciples. In fact, 72 had just returned. He had done to the 72 as he did to the 12. He gave them authority over demons and told them to preach the good news that the kingdom of God is here and then tell people to repent and then cast those devils out and get them healed. That's exactly what Jesus told them to do. And so in that context, he's talking to the 72, and they come back, and they're all excited. They said, even demons have to obey us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That was Lucifer's fall. I have given you authority to trample. What do you trample with? Your mouth? What do you trample with? Your hands? You trample with your feet. The powers of darkness are under your feet. You see the connection? I give you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Praise God. Nothing will harm you. Now here's Jesus knowing full well that God the Father walked into the Garden of Eden after Adam the first made a huge mess. And he knows that his father prophesied about him coming. Because even David later prophesied that God said to the son, stay here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so here's Jesus knowing that his time has come. In fact, in one of the scriptures, when Jesus first starts preaching, it says Jesus, knowing the time of fulfillment had come, started to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, knowing that the Father was now putting all things under his feet and he was going to bring, he is bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He turns to his disciples, his pioneers, the first of the first. Can I stop for a moment and say, rip that religious theology out of your head that separates the 12 disciples from the rest of you? Jesus never said, go and make Christians. He said, go and make disciples. In fact, after Jesus rose from the dead in Matthew, he said, now go, baptize them in my name and teach them everything I taught you. He says, go, make disciples. This isn't for the original 12, nor is it like many 
good Christian churches, but misled Christian churches will say, well, that was only for the disciples to launch the gospel. This is the gospel. We've been set free from the kingdom of darkness. We've been set free from the consequences of Adam's fall. We've been set free from the power of demons. And we have been lifted up and seated in heavenly places. And all things are under his feet. And we are the glorious body. Tell me it doesn't make sense. Tell me it doesn't add up. Tell me it's illogical. And I'll tell you, you're kidding. Because I'll guarantee you the word of God has never made more sense than what you hear in this house. Why? Religion screws it up. And religion comes up with doctrines and theories. But when we stick to the word of God and the word of God only, and we dig into the word of God, there's nothing in God's word that's contradictory. The word of God is always yes and amen. It's always in agreement. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. How many of you are glad you came to eat at this kitchen today? Yeah. Amen. Now watch this because I'm not done. I got another surprise for you. Are you ready? So Luke 10, 18 and 19, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample. They will be under your feet, snakes and scorpions, to overpower all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The word authority, those of you who've been with me for a while now, is in the Greek, exousia. That's right. Exousia, if you'd put it up on the screen. It means authority, jurisdiction. You've been given jurisdiction over the kingdom of darkness. Gabriel, I know you've only been coming maybe six weeks, eight weeks. I'm glad you keep coming back with your wife, Alicia, and your daughter, Anna. I'm thrilled. I want you to understand God has given you and your wife jurisdiction over the kingdom of darkness. You're not just a Christian on your way to heaven. You are migraine to the kingdom of darkness. You are a nuisance and a pest to demons. When you know who you are, the gates of hell start to tremble and they start to shake. Yeah, even the baby's agreeing. <laughs> He's been listening to me preach for nine months in your belly. Amen. Now watch this. So authority, authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, mastery, concretely to have magistrate authority. You are God's magistrates on earth. Come on, come on, come on. Religion has made us nothing but decrepit sinners just saved by the grace of God. Oh, hallelujah, he's not going to blow me up. Come on. God is better than that. God's love is bigger than that. 
He's not just saving these wretched, miserable sinners. He's making them sons of heaven. He's restoring the glory. He's restoring our destiny. He's restoring our purpose. He's restoring our dignity. Hallelujah. I love it. The next word, superhuman. Potentate, the token of control. You have the token of control on a superhuman level. On a superhuman level. Because you're meant to bind demons. You're meant to bind them in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as the church comes boldly marching through. They will crash through the gates of hell. The gates of hell can't prevail. You know how demons preach that in the church? For years in the church, the picture is the gates of hell will come crashing against us, but they won't prevail. We might be near the last breath, but they're not going to prevail. We're going to make it, even if it's by the last thread on our jeans somehow we're gonna make it god will just somehow rescue us they won't prevail i'm still going i'm still going i'm still going no that's not god's plan of salvation hallelujah that's not what jesus died for He died for us to have victory in the name of Jesus Christ. When you go walking down the streets, the gates of hell won't prevail against your presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think the devil's been preaching inside the Christian church for too long. Paul says in the last days, there will be doctrines of demons coming into the church. We're so concerned about who will win the next election. I'm more concerned about the church of Jesus Christ getting the revelation that she is the church of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what happens in the White House. It's the wrong house to be looking to. It's what happens in the house of God. Can I get an agreement? Yes! Yes! Did I tell you I was excited about preaching today? Now watch this. I'm not done yet. I didn't get to the good bit. There's more. Watch this. It's, Jesus said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Power is the word dunamis. It means even supernatural power. Do you know that Satan has power? Satan has power. Jesus said, I'm giving you authority over the supernatural power of the devil. The devil has supernatural power. You see, 
Death came into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world. Do you know the last enemy of God to be destroyed? According to the Apostle Paul and in the book of Revelation, again, everything always lines up. John, the Apostle, was on the island of Patmos. He was the last surviving of the original disciples, and he gets a revelation. He's caught up in the Spirit, and he writes it all down. That's the book of Revelation. Paul is preaching, traveling all over the world. These two guys aren't even connecting. Paul says the last enemy that God will deal with is death, the spirit of death. You know what death is? It's the law of decay. It breaks everything down. If you don't keep your marriage under tight scrutiny and under the blood of Jesus, and if you're not being submissive one to another and apologizing where need be, and I said submitting one to another, death will start to come in and it will start to die off that young love. You don't have to say amen right now. I know you're sitting next to your partner. Death is what makes the body age. It's what makes the organs age and slowly lose their functionality. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, in chapter 20, it says, at the end of all the ages, it says that God sends an angel to take the last enemy, the spirit of death, and he will throw death in the lake of fire where the false prophet and the beast and the antichrist already are. He's the last enemy. Now, there are no chapters and verses when the Bible was written. It was just one continuous, you know, each writer wrote just one continuous thing. I'm going to say chapter 21 starts with, but it's not chapter 21. It just naturally follows. And it says, and God created a new heaven and a new earth. And there was a new order. We live under the order of the spirit of death. God warned Adam. Everything ties up. Old Testament all the way through to the last book in the New Testament. God told Adam, if you sin, if you disobey, you will surely die. Death, that decaying spirit that destroys everything, has come into the world and he's the last spirit, the last enemy to be dealt with. And when he's thrown in the lake of fire, Bingo, the next verse in Revelation says, and there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. The old will pass away. Behold, everything becomes new, and there will be a new order. Yeah. You see, the devil, let me explain death. It is the supernatural power to distort the things of God. And so death, God gives life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What is death? It is the supernatural power of the enemy to come into your body, to come into your marriage, to come into your circumstances, and start bringing decay. Supernaturally, he takes the life of God and he drains it. Okay? 
Jesus said, I give you authority over the supernatural power of demons. Church, I know some of you are going to think I'm off the wall or in left field. But let me tell you right now, whether you've ever experienced it or not, whether you've grown into this phase yet or not, and whether you believe me or not, the reality is your destiny is that you have been given kingdom authority over all the supernatural power of Satan and demons. And therefore, when death is working in somebody's body, you have authority to say, Stop! In Jesus' name, I cast that thing out. Cancer, be gone! And if that isn't true, close your Bible now because Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus said it. I give, you pow- I give you authority over all the power. I give you exousia over the supernatural manifestation of demons. Why can I heal the sick in Jesus' name? Because Jesus extended to me his authority. You can do it. 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 The word of God isn't racist. The word of God isn't prejudiced. The word of God isn't for a few. It's for anyone who will believe. Amen. You know what? That was better preaching than what you just clapped. Can I get a better clap? Come on. I give you super, I give you governmental authority over the supernatural power of demons. And I'll tell you a story real quick. My wife and I had just started the church. It was maybe three, four months old. I'm preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. I was always preaching faith and preaching healing. And uh, we saw many miracles. And I thank God we see many miracles now. 2 a.m. Sunday morning. I mean, you know, Sunday morning, I got to preach. It's a new church, a baby church. Probably had about 50, 60, maybe 70 people. Jan and Jerry were part of the church then. She knows this story. She was there. She saw it from the beginning. This woman comes pounding on my door at 2 a.m., and I mean pounding. I come to the front door. She said, quick, you got to come to Tampa General My husband has been shot, and uh, he's about to die. The story unfolded. While this young man was coming to church, he had one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of darkness. He would come to church, and every once in a while, fall prey to temptation and go back to the drug world. And so this... Late Saturday evening, early Sunday morning, he's downtown Tampa to score some drugs, and he thinks he's a little bit smart, and he's going to drive off in his van after they give him the drugs. So as his van is driving away, they fill the van with bullets. About six bullets went through his body. The paramedics resuscitated him on the spot. They didn't expect him to arrive to the hospital alive. The nurses told me this themselves. I'm there and I saw something 
that if you've never seen this, it's going to be hard for you to believe this is a true story. I didn't think it was possible. No one ever said this to me, and yet I saw it with my own eyes. This man was unconscious, hooked up to a gazillion tubes. That's an exaggeration. A lot of tubes, a lot of machines. He was cut open from here to here. His, I could see his whole insides. They stuffed it with white terry toweling towels, okay? And it's soaking up the blood. They're pumping blood into his body. They're pumping morphine into his body. And the nurses tell me they've stitched up every bullet hole. It ripped through his intestines. They cleaned it up. And uh, they stitched his intestines, his organs. But he continues to bleed. They don't know where the blood is coming from. I've got this young wife here. I know they have three little kids. I'm a preacher. I'm the new, new boy on the block. And I've been preaching about the power of God and miracles. And that the kingdom of God is ours. And I'm praying for this guy. And I'm standing by the side. And every uh, ten minutes... They would take the towels out and I'd see the open cavity of all of his intestines and his organs. I didn't think it was possible. I don't know how that, who's in the medical field? Is that possible? Yeah, I, I didn't think it was possible. I thought if you open that much, you, you're just dead. Uh, but they're pumping blood through him and they're taking out these towels and dumping them in a, a hazard bin and... Uh, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. After several hours, I'm speaking life over this guy, Lynn. I, I know there's the power of resurrection in me because it's the Holy Ghost, not me. And I'm speaking resurrection into this guy. And uh, the Holy Spirit says to me, how do I know it's the Holy Ghost? Because a thought came to me that I thought was insane. It came out of left field. And I'm going to tell you it, and when I tell you it, you're going to think, yeah, you were insane, Pastor. You didn't get enough sleep that night. I'm standing at this guy's bedside looking at his open gut. Every five, ten minutes, they're changing towels. I said, God, please help my faith to grow. I speak life into this man. And the Holy Spirit said, rebuke the spirit of stress. Were you there? So you remember. I said, he said, rebuke the spirit of stress. And in my head, I looked at myself and I said, what? This guy is sedated. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't have any stress. I've got the stress. <laughs> Honest. I got a young wife here. She was making a demand of the man of God. She pounded on my door. She's crying her eyes out. She's got three little kids. Let me tell you, I am not afraid to say I am human enough that I felt the stress. Yes, I'm a faith man, but I'm also a man. And I felt the natural side of me tugging at me. And I said, what? He doesn't have stress. He doesn't. I've got stress. And the Spirit of God said it again. Rebuke the spirit of stress. Now, can I ask you, what the heck would stress have to do with this? Right? It doesn't even make sense. I always say God's logical. This was the most illogical thing in my head at that time. I was starting to believe God isn't logical. 
He doesn't have stress. And yet the Spirit of God kept saying, rebuke the spirit of stress over him. So I start rebuking the spirit of stress. I didn't say it out loud. I said it very quietly. I said, Norman, I rebuke the spirit of stress over you. I command the spirit of stress to leave in Jesus' name. I swear to you. Before God, I swear to you. Instead of five minutes, that they would change the towels, 10 minutes and 15 minutes. Just before God told me to rebuke the spirit of stress, the nurses came to the wife and said, Lady, it's time to let him go in dignity. We need you to give us the right to turn off the blood transfusions and the morphine. He needs to just be allowed to go. And she came to me. Here's the stress. She came to me and said, Pastor, what do I do? So you understand why I said, he doesn't have stress, I got stress. And I said, you tell those nurses, no. Keep the blood coming and keep the morphine coming. And she did exactly what I said. And then I turned to God, I said, please. <laughs> and he said, rebuke the spirit of stress. I was ready to lay hands on me. Come on out, in Jesus' name, wherever you are, come out. But he told me clearly, rebuke the spirit of stress out of the guy. Now, it's every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes. I left, it was now every 20 minutes. The blood flow was slowing down. It was now 5.30 a.m. in the morning. I had to drive all the way back to Oldsmar, shower, get the finishing touches of my sermon, and go to church and preach. I'm preaching, and just towards the end of my sermon, she walks in. The first thing that went through my mind, I'll always be honest with you, he died. I thought, no, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. If he was dead, she'd be by his side. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I kept preaching. As soon as I ended the service, I ran to the back. I said, how is he? What's happening? What's happening? She said, the bleeding stopped. I said, thank you, Jesus. I said, did they find out where the blood was coming from? Because they, they had assured me they stitched up every hole. She said, yeah. I said, where was the blood coming from? A stress ulcer. Jesus cast out the spirit of infirmity and then he healed them. It didn't make sense to me. But I have to tell you, I swear before God Almighty, this is the honest truth. I thought it was crazy to rebuke the spirit of stress. This guy had a stress ulcer. Can you imagine trying to live a Christian life, hide it from your wife, doing drugs, coming to church, talking about, oh, I'd like to do Bible school. Can you imagine the kind of stress that builds up in a person's life? And here he is riddled with six or eight bullets, I don't remember precisely, all stitched up. But an ulcer, a stress ulcer, was bleeding him to death because he was living a lie. Jesus said, I give you authority over the supernatural manifestation of demons. 
When it comes to sickness, you have authority. Don't just believe in science. Believe in science. It is the description of the physical manifestation of what demons are doing behind the scenes. Can I get an agreement? You have authority that trumps the power of demons. Now, Pastor Rob, I've got it, but you've got it too. If you're born again, you have that power and that authority. Look, the next verse says, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Here's a revelation. Would you guys put that up? The next verse says, nothing shall by any means harm you. The word harm. Give me the Greek definition for the word harm. There are two reasons why the enemy gets access to our lives. Number one, the Bible says, John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief. By nature, he will just always try to rob from you. He wants to see if you're... He wants to see if you haven't been to Pastor Rob's church and you don't know who you are in Jesus Christ. He, he, he hopes that your preachers have dumbed it down enough and made church short enough so that you miss all the good bits. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the thief comes. And so you have to realize that the devil's going to try to do stuff to you just because that's the nature of who he is. I'm going to show you a 40-second video. Quickly, show the 40-second video. Turn the lights out. Here's two thieves on a moped trying to rob a lady's handbag and watch what happens. 40 seconds. Thirty-two seconds. watch she starts kicking she kicks him between the legs she does she's kicking they're fighting and the thieves take off and they never got the purse the devil is a thief and you got to have enough bible inside your understanding that you know you have a right to fight back did you hear me you have the right to fight back Hit them where it hurts. Say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, there's another reason why the enemy attacks. And sometimes he has our cooperation. In the verse that I just read to you from Luke where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning and I give you governmental authority over the power of the enemy. He says, and nothing shall by any means harm you. This is very important. This is the last wow. For this message. Are you ready? Let's look up the word harm. Can I have it harm? Adikio. To do wrong, to act. Hang on, I didn't finish. To do wrong, act wickedly, act unjustly towards, to injure, to harm. Now let's go to the helps word study. Adikio, it's an unrighteousness. Properly or correctly, it means doing wrong, committing an injustice, especially to inflict undeserved hurt by ignoring God's justice, i.e. acting contrary to what is divinely approved. I want you to get this. Jesus said the enemy can't harm you. Why do we get harmed sometimes? 
Sometimes we don't know how to fight back. We don't know our rights. And it's like, for the devil, it's like stealing candy from a baby. We just sit there and cry. When we're supposed to stand up and punch him in the mouth. In Jesus' name. But sometimes he harms us. Keep that up there. No, the other one. The one that was there. Leave it there. Look at this. It's an act of unrighteousness, properly doing wrong, committing an injustice. If you are walking right with the Lord, it is unjust for the enemy to put a finger on you. But when we are not walking according to the ways of the Lord, that's why sometimes he can harm us. Because we've legally opened the window and legally opened the door. When Jesus was talking about harm, he's saying the devil can't bring an injustice against you. Why do Christians sometimes get harmed? One, they don't know how to fight. They don't know who they are. They don't know their authority. They don't know how to stand up and to rebuke the devil. And two, sometimes the devil has a right to bring his damage because we have said yes to his temptation. And we have sit down at times and we drink from his cup and we have a coffee and tea and toast with him. That's why Paul says don't entertain the enemy. Resist him and he will flee. But when you don't resist him and you allow him to take your attention and to engage you in things that we shouldn't engage in, we are now having lunch with him. We're having a party with him. And we don't realize he is not a good guest. He won't come to your house and have a meal and leave. He will come to your house and he will rob from you when you're not looking. Should I have ended five minutes ago? You see... We think that just because of what pastor's preaching, that's it. We're untouchable. We are untouchable when we stay under the grace of God. Amen. We are untouchable when we are living according to the word of God. Now, look, I make mistakes on a daily basis, but I'm quick to turn and say, Dad, that was wrong. I'm sorry. I succumbed to the enemy. I repent. But we think we can continue in a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word, and we think everything's okay. And the devil says, I love that gospel. Because you keep opening the door and you give me a legal right to a part of your body. Do you remember I shared with you how I've been healed of incurable things, and the one thing I couldn't get healed of was allergies. And after 20 years or more of severe allergies, I've been healed of Crohn's disease and a whole host of uh, Hashimoto's disease, Ross River fever, things that are supposed to stay with you for the rest of your life. Couldn't get healed of allergies until God, I said, God, why? And he brings me back to an attitude I had towards my mother when she was always sniffling and always had a wet handkerchief, and as a young teenager, I thought less of her. I'd listen to her in her misery, 
and I despised it. And I opened the door and that thing cursed me. And for 20 years, though I walked in healing on many issues, it would not leave until God reminded me and I repented. You see, repentance is denying a demon to keep holding on to a part of your life. Come on, stand with me. Yeah, go on, follow her lead, whoever that is. Wow. Who needs healing? Who needs healing? Put your hand up. Leave it up. Leave it up. You need healing? Any kind of healing. We're going to practice what we just preached. I want anybody near, anyone who has their hand raised up. Bill, Peter, here you go. Over here, this young lady. I want you to put your hands on them. I want you to practice. You prayed with me last week. You're going to pray again. Or over here. Um, Idlevice and John. David, put your hands on her. Come on, put your hands on her. Put your hands on somebody. You have governmental authority against the supernatural manifestations of what the devil's doing. Isn't this cool? You're healed. You're healed. You're healed in Jesus' name. Now, everyone, repeat after me. Father, I thank you that my sins are forgiven, and I'm a child of God. And I thank you that you have brought me into your kingdom, and we have governmental authority. Now, I pray over your child, and I take that exousia, the authority from heaven, and I rebuke in Jesus' name. I command to stop the power of sickness. I rebuke the spirit of infirmity, and in Jesus' name, I stop the enemy's work, and I release the healing power of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at me, church. I'm going to release you. But I want to release you in the authority that God has given you. Every husband, every husband, and every wife, you should pray in your home. We have to establish an altar in our house. The Bible says it. Husbands, you should pray over your wife. Don't complain over your wife. Pray over her. Silently rebuke the spirit of anger or whatever. No. Pray over her. Bless her. Wives, pray over your husband. Don't nag him to death. Pray. Paul says we're not wrestling against Rick against Pastor Rob, flesh and blood. We're not wrestling flesh and blood. We're wrestling principalities of darkness. You think your wife's the problem. No, some devil's the problem. You think your husband's the problem. No, some spirit's the problem. Don't turn around and say, oh, you're demon-possessed. 
And now you become a mouthpiece of demons. Every, any one of us can be oppressed of the enemy. Graciously put your arm around someone, your partner or someone you love and say, come on, I'm going to agree with you. Let's agree together. If you're in the middle of a fight, then go to your room. and Don't pray, oh God, beat the snot out of that devil and hit my wife too. Come on, come on, come on. How is America going to change if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't change? Come on, the church has to change. How many of you think you got a really good sermon today? Can I see your hand? All right, all right, stop, 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 stop. I'm not looking for the applause, but listen. You see, people get offended. Oh, church went too long. I'm sorry, it did go longer today. But I'm giving you keys for your life. I'm giving you keys for your marriage. I'm giving you keys that can stop cancer in its tracks. I don't apologize for that. Unfortunately, this information isn't in the church. And when it is, it's not heard often enough. We need to know God made us the head, not the rear end. You're meant to be the head. You're meant to be in victory. You're not meant to be drowning yourself in depression tablets. If you are under depression, I'm not ridiculing you. I struggled with depression years ago. But I realized the best pill to take was the word of God, the gospel. And start filling myself up with who I am in Jesus when I preach, I'm telling you my stories. They're war stories. I let you see my wounds. I let you see my humanity. I let you see the, where I've made mistakes. Why? Because a wise man learns from his own, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. I want you to be wiser than me. I want you to learn off my back. I don't care about my image. And you know what I found? The more people are honest and they're real, the more they gain credibility. That's why I preach the way I preach. Father, I pray your blessing over this house. If there are any that are not born again, if you haven't asked Jesus in your heart, quickly raise your hand, quickly. I want to ask Jesus. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. If you haven't done that, raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, bless this house. Bless the over 1,000 people that watch through Facebook and YouTube. Bless this congregation. And help them to grow in the knowledge of who they are. And help them to believe they have authority, governmental authority, over the supernatural power of demons. Help them to use it with confidence and boldness. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, if you think the Lord drummed up some good stuff, if you think your salvation, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is good, give him one last hooray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week. Come on back.